Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to welcome everyone to episode number 23 of Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden, a 50-year retrospective, the early years of the WWWF, the WWF, and the WWE, Madison Square Garden, the mecca of professional wrestling, a building that every wrestler wanted to wrestle in. We record one show a month to coincide with the 50th anniversary of a wrestling house show at Madison Square Garden. And to help us look back at all these shows, a man who went to every wrestling house show at Madison Square Garden for five years straight, starting in August 30th, 1971, Mr. Wrestling himself, John Rizzi. John, how are you? I'm doing all right. I look at that five years that I attended all those shows consecutively, and I don't know if I was just crazy for doing it, or was it like a waste of my time, or was it like I'm a dinosaur and so ancient that I am reviewing history like only I can by going to guard the garden shows 50 years in a row. Anyway, it's it's a pleasure to be back seeing and looking at you, Tim, and hearing your wonderful voice. And the talk about probably was one of the worst shows in in my history of attending shows at Madison Square Garden, August the 27th, 1973. And this is our anniversary show. We started, we started this podcast two years ago. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Thank you, Fred Flintstone. Very good. Thank you for all the Patreons and everyone who listens, and for Richie and for you. You know, this is a very small crew that put this show together. And, you know, sometimes life gets in the way sometimes. Sometimes we don't get it out exactly the way we want it to. But, you know, we work through it. And two years, that, that has to say something. That is good. I mean, you know, podcasts are everywhere. But if you have a niche and you could find a specific audience for what you do, which we have on this one, and it is the garden, and as McMahon Sr. used to say to his son, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, Vinny, the garden will always be the garden. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I want to thank our, our fans that have been listening because uh, Richie and I were talking today. There are so many, even since we started, there are so many wrestling podcasts out there, and yet still people stop down. And listen to me and you talk about wrestling at Madison Square Garden, matches that took place 50 years ago, and I, I can't thank them enough for that. Yeah, we certainly appreciate each and every one of you that listen to this show. Uh, every time we put a new one out, we always get a really positive response, and uh, the fans enjoy it. The fans who, uh, few and far between, that were actually at some of these shows, 
But a lot of fans, because they know the history of Madison Square Garden, really want to kind of dive deep into really what happened back in those days at the Mecca of all arenas. And here we are to provide that for them. I, I think also something that goes through our mind, I think Kerry said it the best, is that you know you, you look back and you, you're wearing rose-colored glasses because you always think of everything was fantastic, everything was great, you remember this match, you remember that much. But there was a lot of stuff in between uh, that was okay. That wasn't the best, but what we're seeing here, especially with the WWF, a lot of things that change the future. We see a lot of wrestlers come in under different names, uh, Mike McCord being one of them, and he goes away and becomes Austin Idol. There are wrestlers that come in and out of here. There are wrestlers that are starting. There's wrestlers that are ending, and it's just a period in time where it's still territory wrestling, and we see how territories used to work back in the day. Yeah, very true. I mean, and you didn't have these big rosters. You had uh, limited rosters that used to run the circuit from the Garden to Philly to Boston to Baltimore, Washington, D.C. It really was a special time, and McMahon Sr. really knew how to run a territory, and he proved it. Even though this show wasn't a sellout over there, the fan base showed up in the thousands every show at the Garden, and he was the best regional promotion of that era. I want to talk more about this as we get into the show, but I wanted to ask you real quick, how are your other podcasts going? You have two other podcasts running at the same time. Yeah, I mean, we're doing really well. The Gibby Show, obviously, is the baseball show that I do every Monday. And, you know, we're bringing on these amazing guests like Don Mattingly and Jim Palmer. And uh, this upcoming episode, we'll bring on Ken Rosenthal, who's a premier baseball analyst, to discuss the trade deadline. And we also are going to bring on one of John's ball players from uh, the magical 2015 uh, Toronto Blue Jays, Jose Batista, because he's being honored at uh, the Rogers Center at the ball game. He's going to be in the, you know, the, the one of the heroes of uh, the Toronto Blue Jays history. And Gibby has been invited back to Toronto to be on the field with him. So that'll take place um, uh, next Saturday. And of course, this podcast, it'll be over by the time this, you know, this is out. But that's really cool. And, and we get huge numbers in Canada. It's just an amazing thing to do each and every week to to be able to speak to legends and current players. That's fun for me. It really is because I never thought I'd have the opportunity to talk to these people. And Gibby provides that and we have a good chemistry. And the show was really an entertaining weekly broadcast on Toronto Blue Jays baseball and also uh, bringing on uh, guests that have that curtain drawn down a little bit because Gibby is Gibby. He's not probing and prodding and asking controversial questions, although that's kind of my job, you know, and that's what I do. I, I, I try to get honest answers and they all they all enjoy it uh, who come on the show. Uh, and the other show, of course, uh, Pro Wrestling Spotlight, which is out uh, each and every week. Uh, we're in a really interesting time covering 1993 right now, 30 years ago. And, uh, you know, we covered the the infamous on the, <laughs> the infamous Jake the Snake Roberts uh, appearance in LNS Comics. So we just finished taping that one with Larry from LNS Comics, who joined us for the podcast to talk about that day and talk about the horrific appearance by Jake at his store. Uh, so anyway, uh, that was good. It was great to have Larry on because Larry was one of the original sponsors of Pro Wrestling Spotlight back in 1989 and was really on the forefront of uh, action figures, collectibles, and he had a number of wrestlers that used to frequent that store. Matt Cardona, you know, is huge in collectibles. He's got his own store. He makes his own action figures, and he's one of the top independent guys uh, out there today, former WWE superstar. So Matt was actually at that appearance 
that Jake was there because uh, I had communicated with Matt, and unfortunately he couldn't do the show, but he remembered it well. He was just a kid, and he was there. Wow. I am so looking forward to that. And I love to find – what was the gentleman's name again who ran LNS Comics? Larry Spitz. So I love to hear about what Larry thinks about it now, looking 30 years back, because at the time – you got people have to understand if you have a store and you're gonna have a celebrity come in, you got to put a lot of money out for this. This is not cheap, okay? You're putting a lot of money, a lot of your resources out for that, and you hopefully they'll get a nice return on it. And when your celebrity shows up, not you know in the shape he should be in, how do you deal with that? And it's it would be great to figure out hear from him, hear from Larry about how it went and what what are the ramifications to his business afterwards. Yeah, I mean, he did get some complaints. He, you know, he kind of clarified that Jake was signing, but he wasn't nice to anyone. And then he got up. He just wasn't in a pleasant mood that day. And and ironically, I had him booked on several appearances because we were doing a big deal with the Long Island Bowlers Association. I had brought Medusa in and Greg DeHammer Valentine, and we were doing probably five or six appearances at local bowling alleys. And Jake no-showed two of them. So that cost me my sponsorship back then with the uh, with the Long Island Bowlers Association. Oh, Wow. And, and you know what? I, I'm so happy we can listen to this podcast and listen to it free of charge because of all our fans that belong to the Patreon, patreon.com slash John Rizzi. Help to keep the lights on. Help to keep the, the, the old reel-to-reels rolling so we can record these podcasts. What do you have new up on the Patreon, John? Well, it's kind of funny because I checked out, you know, how many posts and how many pieces of content are on the Patreon account, and it's over 500. Over 500 historic pieces of content from old radio shows to 8mm films and photo sets and vintage audio, vintage video. So that is what people love. They love to find the history. And people who join the Patreon account for really as little as five bucks a month, they get access to over 200 vintage, fully unedited radio shows. So there's so much there for people to explore. Patreon.com slash John Arezzi. And as Tim says, without the patrons, we don't do a show. No. No. It, 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 the, the money we get from the patrons helps us do this show, helps us do the other show, and help, helps keep the lights on. Listen, if you haven't checked it out, go check it out. Patreon.com slash John Arezzi. Join the family, relive the history, and help us produce these podcasts for you free of charge. Yes, uh, join that community. It's really a very tight-knit community, and people send messages to each other, and we do Zooms, and so it's fun. It's it's a great experience, and it's uh, for people who really want to keep this history alive. Awesome. Speaking of history, we lost another great wrestling superstar last month. Exotic Adrian Street passed away on July 24th. He was 82 years old. Yeah, I had uh, met him at a Cauliflower Alley convention banquet and uh, didn't know him very well, but he certainly was one of those guys that people remember, you know, with uh, his valet that was with him, uh, Miss Linda, and and he was uh, an English gentleman and he was very flamboyant and kind of took his gimmick a little bit from Gorgeous George, uh, who was really the, he was probably the first flamboyant professional wrestler and was the number one television star in the 50s. So Adrian kind of took that gimmick and he was in the business for a lot of years. He was a fearless brawler, great brawler. He actually made his debut in the wrestling business in the 50s in 1957. And he wrestled all the way to 2014, having his last match on June the 14th. 
He wrestled under the name of Kid Tarzan, King Tarzan Jonathan, actually, and one of his earliest inspirations was Don Leo Jonathan. Ironically, Don Leo Jonathan will later be his best man when he married his manager, Miss Linda, you know, also known as Linda Hawker, who wrestled as Blackfoot Sue. And Miss Linda started as Adrian's manager in 1969. And another thing people may not know about Adrian Street is that he was an author as well. He's He wrote seven books and released an album under the band name The Powell Drivers, and the album was titled Shake, Wrestle, and Roll. It was estimated that he wrestled between twelve and 15,000 matches over the course of his career. Wow. And ironically, too, I mean, this is something that we've talked about on the show, Tim, about a bonus show that we're, we'll, we'll be doing. He never wrestled at Madison Square Garden, so he was one of those famous athletes that just never competed in a garden ring. Do you think one of the reasons he never came to the Garden because the WWF at the time had Adrian Adonis, and he had a very similar style. Now, Adrian Adonis, a little before Adrian Adonis, he was also a brawler and somebody that can defend himself. Yeah, and Adrian was, you know, obviously huge in the uh, in the mid to late 80s uh, in the WWF at the time. But, you know, Adrian Street was around since the 50s. So that's really surprising. That was, you know, So who knows? Maybe there was some politics or he didn't gel well with McMahon or whatever the story may be, but he just never got the opportunity to wrestle at the Mecca of all arenas. One of the things I always uh, admired about him, Adrian Street and, and Adrian Adonis, is that these are really tough guys. Very, yes. very tough guys. Because when you're doing a flamboyant style, androgynous, you know, kind of personality, giving that little hoo 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 to the fans and to the wrestlers, and it's annoying wrestlers, fans get really angry and they want to go after you. These guys could defend themselves. These guys were legit tough guys. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely correct there. And, uh, and the one, you know, lasting thing about Adrian is that a lot of people really adored him. A lot of people really liked him. The old timers did. A lot of the old time journalists did. And he was always uh, he was always pleasant and uh, he will be missed. And it's just another sad, uh, sad death in pro wrestling. I mean, we lose them all the time now, especially with people in that age category. It's very sad. Yeah, it's very sad. Well, let's go a little back in time. Let's go back to August 27, 1973, Madison Square Garden. John, was there any buildup for this show? Any buildup on TV? And uh, where did you get your tickets? Normal places? Yeah, the same normal uh, places. But, you know, I'm about to uh, venture into uh, over the next couple of shows, me finally getting Bill Baker to give me those ringside seats. So this was one of those last shows that I actually, you know, just had to go and get my tickets, whether it was a ticket Tron or wherever it may be. And I do remember this show the buildup was just normal there wasn't anything special it was uh main event morales and stand the man stasiak and you'd seen that before and it was just kind of a rehashed type of show even though it was on hbo i would have to say that this particular show out of all the shows i, I attended at the garden did not leave me happy and I remember it well because, and we'll talk about the finish later on when we get to it, but I was running the Freddie Blassie fan club at the time. I was doing my monthly newsletter, King of Men, and I actually did an editorial on this match on the way it ended and the fact that I just blasted it. I just blasted it as one of the most horrific matches I had ever seen. And at that time, in 1973, I was like a 16-year-old kid. Wow. So even in 1973, you knew it wasn't great. Well, that's why I remember when we talked about the match and when I saw how it finished, I was like, that sparked a memory immediately. I was like, I wrote about this in King of Men newsletter. 
because of how horrific this was and how odd the finish was. All right, let's go to the matches. New York City, Madison Square Garden, Monday night, August 27th, 1973. Bell time, 8.30. Attendance, 18,666. That's roughly 2,000 less attendees than last month and 4,000 off a sellout. So even people that loved going to wrestling, like Kerry would say, we just always win. Those people, they're not going this time. It is televised on HBO, featuring Vince McMahon as commentary. Now, this is the third month straight that MSG House Show is being televised live on HBO. And the two previous shows are about the same as this one. Not exactly the best stuff. Scheduled match, tag team championship match, Haystacks Calhoun and Tony Gurria versus Blackjack Lanza and Mike McCord did not take place. But I'll tell you what we have for you. We have a little audio clip from Mr. McMahon himself talking about the show. This Monday night in Madison Square Garden, this Monday, a fantastic card of professional wrestling. Lou Albano's Daily Double of Iron Mike McCord and Black Jack Lanza meeting the World Tag Team Champions, Haystacks Calhoun and Tony Gurria. Indian Chief Jay Strongbow also scheduled to be on the card as he meets Professor Taru Tanaka. You'll also see Gorilla Monsoon, Victor Rivera, just about anybody who is anything in professional wrestling. But this Monday night, the big news is the fact that the master of the heart punch, Stan the Man Stasiak, gets a title shot at Pedro Morales. It's amazing how young Vince McMahon looks. He was just a child at the time. Yeah, he was. And, uh, you know, he'd been doing the announcing really since the beginning of 72. Yeah, he was young, obviously much younger. Voice was different, stronger. But it's kind of cool to be able to listen to something that promoted a show that we're talking about. That's kind of rare. He talks about the main event match of the night, WWF heavyweight champion Pedro Morales defending against Stan the Man Stasiak. And I want to go back uh, for a second when you talked about the attendance of 18,666. I mean, that's that's really poor. And around that time, the houses throughout the circuit were starting to drop. Philly, Boston, Washington, you know, they were all starting to lose fans, whether it was redundancy of the opponents that were coming in when you have the George Animal Steels, who people have seen, and you have Stan Stasiak, who obviously was in and out. There wasn't anything special. And Morales, um, you know, the draw, I guess, in Vince senior's mind was like, maybe it's time to make a change. And maybe around this time, he was already uh, in conversations with Bruno to bring Bruno back at the end of the year to become champion. Well, let's get into the matches. Match number one, Farmer Jerome and Little Louie defeated Little Brutus and Pee Wee Adams in the best of two out of three falls match. Speaking of Pee Wee Adams, we lost another Pee Wee. Oh, in yeah. Pee Wee Herman recently. So, yeah, so I see the name Pee Wee Adams. It jumps right back to Pee Wee Herman. I wonder if Pee Wee got his name from him. Don't know. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, no time listed on this one. Uh, 20 minutes plus, And, you know, you see the little guys in the ring and it's great attraction. And, you know, for a first time viewer on HBO, maybe it was something cool to see. Uh, but if you've seen one uh, tag team match uh, with the little guys, you've seen them all. Just an okay opening match and the other thing is why book two out of three falls i mean it just you know you've seen it all it wasn't anything exciting well you know we talk about why they bring in the little people why they bring in the women you bring them in every once in a while and it's like oh wow it's a pop 
They just had them last month. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, sometimes booking gets stale, so you need something to shake it up. And I think the WWF at this time, during the summer of 1973, it was a time where things were getting redundant and stale. When you run the same guys out card after card and there's nothing exciting. And this particular show was really all these matches you could have seen on TV, really, if you look at it, with the exception of the champion who rarely appeared on television except for promos. It was nothing special, Tim. Nothing special here. Well, let's go to the next match, which is definitely nothing special. Mario Soto for El Olimpico to a 20-minute time limit draw. 20 minutes, John. 20 minutes with these guys. Yeah, I wasn't happy sitting there after spending that 7 bucks on that ringside seat, seeing Emmanuel Soto once again in a match with El Olimpico and a 20-minute draw to boot. Nothing to see here, as the police would say, if, uh, you know, you're walking by, you know, a train wreck, which this match was. And the other thing with the HBO coverage as well, they really should have mixed it up. You know, when you have that opportunity to be on HBO, I mean, give them something better than this. And it looks like they just really didn't care at that time. Do you think, now this just comes to my mind, there's something with HBO where you say, okay, we have to do this long. This is how long you, we have. Okay. So say it has to be like two hour show or an hour and a half mm-hmm. show. And then they lost their tag team match that they were going to put in there. Now they're just stretching everything because they have nobody else. So they're stretching everything. Every match this tonight so far has been stretched and more stretching matches to come that you wouldn't really see at the time. You wouldn't see the, every match being stretched this much. It, it was certainly something that, and we'll get into that tag team situation and why that didn't happen or why they say it didn't happen. But it was, uh, it was a, as they say, it's a, it was a snoozer, man. It was a freaking snoozer. Well, let's go on to match number three. Victor Rivera defeated Mr. Fuji. No time limit listed here. <laughs> we know it's long. We know it's long. We know it's long. Maybe that's a good thing. Uh, It it really is amazing that uh, the match was televised, but no time limit could be found anywhere. Uh, It probably was a very bad match. Uh, I don't even remember it that well because Fuji was just, you know, it wasn't the best worker. And even though he was a little entertaining as a manager, it was still just kind of another throwaway match on this show. Absolutely. Match number four, Chief J. Strongbow pinned Professor Toro Tanaka in 15 minutes. Yeah, this is the first of three consecutive losses at the Garden for Tanaka. Whether he was on his way out of the Federation or got himself in the doghouse for whatever reason, you know, he's a quality wrestler. I mean, he was just uh, very believable in what he did. He was a great heel. But in this particular show, losing to uh, Strongbow uh, in that first of three consecutive losses at the Garden for Tanaka, you know that he was uh, literally on his way out. Absolutely. Match number five, someone who's Probably on his way out also, uh, but stayed around. George Steele lost to Gorilla Monsoon via countout in 12 minutes, 22 seconds. It's not because we don't like George Steele, but George Steele has to go back to school. Yes, uh, August 27th, Labor Day fast approaching. Steele uh, had to go back to his teaching job. So um, that was the end of Steele for this summer after this match. And Monsoon defeated him uh, via countout in 12 minutes, 22, as you're saying. And uh, he was definitely working his way down from his run uh, with the champion at the time, Pedro Morales. Now, right here would be the tag team match. They were scheduling a WWF tag team champions, Haystack Calhoun and Tony Gurria versus Blackjack Lanza and Mike McCord, which did not take place. Maybe this is why the matches are so long, John, because they're trying to fill some time here uh, for HBO. Yeah, either that or, I mean, they had to stretch it out because maybe there was, you know, the reasons that they were given, um, you know, that they didn't talk publicly about was about a injury to one of the guys, Blackjack Lanza. That was never announced to the line. 
live audience there, but who knows what else could have happened? It could have been travel problems. It, it was, like I said, uh, D-U-D. D-U-D? Dud. <laughs> okay. Well, let, let's try to make this dud go away. I do have another promo for you. Let's go back to Vince Jr. in 1973 promoting the title match. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here on my left, the individual you have been waiting for, and the individual, individual I might add, that Stan the Man Stasiak is waiting for, Pedro Morales. Pedro, how are you? Very good, Vince. You know, Vince, uh, we are 48 hours away, Vince, and uh, I just finished training to the last couple of weeks. I've been training very hard, Vince, and uh, believe me, I know that Stan Stasia is one of the tough contenders and the World War Wrestling Federation choosing a number one contender, Vince, and I don't want to take no chance, and uh, I want to be in good shape for this match, and uh, uh, I wish all the beautiful people here in New York coming to give me a little support because, believe me, I think I'm going to need it. Well, Pedro, no, I don't have to remind you of the heart punch, and I don't have to remind you of the record of Stan the Man Stasiak since he has perfected that heart punch. And I sure don't have to remind you of what happened down in Mexico when the individual that was meeting Stasiak never got up. <laughs> That's right, Vince. You know, Vince, uh, I watched Stasiak the last uh, couple of times, Vince, believe me, and uh, you have to watch out for that right hand. Uh, any any, uh, any mistake that you make in that ring, he will take advantage with that right hand, Vince, but uh, I don't expect him to make no mistake because uh, uh, I don't want to lose that beautiful belt and I wear my waist veins and uh, like I say I'm top condition and uh, yo quisiera saludar toda la colonia puertorriqueña y a toda, todos los hispanos y hacerle una invitación para este lunes ya que voy a defender mi cinturón con Stan Stacia y créame que Stan Stacia es uno de los contendientes más fuertes que hay en la actualidad en la lucha libre pero yo tengo mucha confianza en mí y jamás pondré el nombre de Puerto Rico y todos los hispanos en el suelo en Jamás permitiré que sea humillado el nombre de Puerto Rico y los hispanos en el deporte de la lucha libre. Thank you very much and the best of luck, Pedro. Thank you. Pedro Morales, this Monday night beating Stan the Man Stasiak. Right, McMahon, 48 hours from now, you would not see Stan the Man like this because around his midsection will be the Worldwide Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship belt. As sure as the sun rises in the morning and sets at night, Stan the Man, 48 hours from now, will go into Madison Square Garden and defeat Pedro Morales with his heart punch. Stan the Man, your next champion, and you're going to hear the words coming from the next champion right now. I can taste it, McMahon, right now, 48 hours. It's going to be a long 48 hours. I waited a long time for this, but well, you know what I'm going to do for the next 48 hours? I'm going to sleep and get a lot of rest, and I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to punch that heavy bag while I'm looking at Morales' picture on the wall, and I'm going to punch and punch and look at Morales again and punch. I'm going to sleep and get some more rest, and then I'm going to punch, and when I walk into that ring in Madison Square Garden, I'm going to punch some more, and I'm going to look at Morales right down there with the belt around my waist. There it is, the new champion! Don't dare miss it this Monday night when Stan the Man Stasiak meets Pedro Morales for the championship. Okay, a lot to unpack here. Uh, first of all, let me say, Pedro, not the greatest talker, but I do like when he goes into Spanish, and I, I hear him talk about Lucha Libre. I don't know what he's saying, but it, it sounds like he's, he's saying, he, he's calling to arms, let's, let's go guys, come out and, and, and watch me. Yeah, he was good on his promos. I mean, he said a lot of the same things, but he get fired up, and... He'd always have those catchphrases like, uh, I'm ready for any type of action in English. And uh, Vince, I've been training. And he always called Vince Vince. 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 Yeah. Vince. I've been training very hard in the gym. 
and I'm ready for any type of action. And he punches chest and start talking in Spanish and then get really animated. And, and that would be the end. But yeah, I, I always enjoyed Morales' promos. He he was fiery. I, I like the promo. I also like how Vince said, uh, you remember what happened in Mexico? <laughs> Somebody didn't get up from the Stasiak heart punch. Remember right, that? Yeah, and yeah, Pedro's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, like just just building the excitement. And then when Stan Stasiak comes in with the wizard, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, the wizard was uh, one of the best uh, mouthpieces out there. The promos were just incredible, and none of this was scripted back then too, which was just it makes it even better. There was no no writers. It was just kind of, all right, here you go. Mention the town, mention the match, mention your opponent, fire them up and push it. And they did a great job back then. And I mean, that's uh, those are some of the things I remember best is like just the unpredictable promos and the great skills of some of these guys that cut them. Well, the match itself wasn't without its controversy. World Wrestling Federation champion Pedro Morales defeated Stan Stasiak via a judge's decision in 52 minutes. What is this, John? Who the hell knew? I mean, this, that had never been done before. And I do remember it live when the ring announcer, friendly Bob Freed, was like, and the winner by majority and still WWF champion Pedro Morales. Call him Morales. And uh, everyone was kind of like, huh? well, the, you know, the fans were happy, you know, because Morales gets his hand raised. But I was like, what does this mean by majority? I was just like, this is so ludicrous. And that's why I remember it well, even to this day, 50 years later of it happening, because it had never been done before. And it was a 53 minute, a very long, long match. Uh, last match of the night. It was horrific. They didn't explain it in the beginning that a judge can or the New York State Athletic Commission would have judges at ringside like a boxing match voting on the winner of this match. I don't know. Maybe Vince Sr. was on LSD at the time or smoking a little bit, you know, the funny weed uh, while he was booking this one. But it was not a happy camper, especially, you know, because it lasted so long. I knew I wouldn't be getting that 1110 train. I knew I'd be having a way to 1140 to get the freak back home. It just seems like they were stretching out the matches, stretching out the matches, yeah. not having the best people in, not having the best matches, but everything seemed to be stretching, stretch it, make it longer. Maybe it was because of HBO that you're missing a key match and you have to fill in somehow. I don't know. We don't know what exactly happened, but we do know that even 50 years later, this does not look like a good card. No, and that's still uh, pissing me off 50 years later. About the finish. You want your money back. I want my seven bucks <laughs> and my and my $2.50 for the one-way train ticket. I mean, that's how much that was back then. $2.50, $5 round trip, or $3.50 if it was off-peak. So I might have, you know, only paid a dollar seventy-five for that trip home. People la laughing at you right now, going, "I paid seven dollars for ringside tickets." Yeah, <laughs> I paid I paid twenty-five dollars to park at Dodger Stadium. Yeah, right. I paid forty dollars when you go to City Fields to park, and now even if you cross the bridge or a tunnel in New York, the tolls just went up. So it's like twelve bucks. <laughs> did like, they? Did they? If you have the easy pass, is a little less. But anyway, uh. you know, times have indeed changed, and you know, the research that was done by Richie. I mean, when uh, going over the card uh, because that tag team match, the scheduled uh, world championship tag team match with champions Calhoun and Gurria against Lenz and McCord 
didn't take place. From Richie's research, it looked like Lanza was injured on August 25th in Baltimore and didn't get back into the ring until September the 15th. So that match and upon itself would have really made the Morales-Stasiak match shorter and it would have eaten up more of that time. But it was um, it was not a good one, man. Well, our next show will be October 15th, 1973. No September house show at Madison Square Garden. Headlined, you ready for it? You ready? Stan the Man Stasiak getting another shot at Pedro's title. This time in a Texas death rules match. I can't break my streak. I have to go to it. You got to go. But it certainly would be one that um, if it was in today's day and age, I would have skipped entirely. Well, you were telling me off air, like your friends who you went with started not coming with you. Yeah. Matter of fact, I believe this show, I was there by myself because my friend Frank, who I went with all the time, didn't bother to go. And you know, it's ironic how ironic it is. is the very first show I went to, August 30th, 1971. That main event was Morales Stasiak. Some things don't change. Right. Oh, it's like, all right, enough already. And they had a couple of matches back in 71 at two. And it's the same thing here. It's literally almost the same thing two years later. Because you look at August 27th, when this show took place, our debut show was about August 30th, 71. So it's literally two years with the same match. And then you go October 15th. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think October 15th, 1971, the second show I ever went to was a rematch, a Texas death match between Stasiak and Morales. What? The same exact thing two years later. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I, I, I have no words for that. You know, to, to Stasiak's credit, I mean, he was a good brawler. He had the heart punch. Uh, he had a long career, 58 to 84. The Hall of Famer, 2018. But man, oh, man. At this time in history, I had enough of Stan the Man Stasiak. And, of course, uh, we'll talk about him even not only in the next show we do, but then he beats Morales for the title on December 1st, 73, and loses the title to Bruno, you know, just a week later. So we're going to have enough of Stan Stasiak in upcoming shows because he just is like the guy that just won't go away. To get this taste of the Pedro Stasiak out of our mouths, what we're going to do is we're going to drop a bonus show uh, in September. uh, And basically what the bonus show is going to be is wrestlers that have never wrestled at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. uh, Why don't we do this, too? If you're interested in kind of providing a list for us, maybe some of those names, uh, why don't you drop us an email, john at mattmemories.com, or, you know, post on social media, send us a message or whatever. And uh, what wrestlers? would have you have liked to see at the garden that you never saw and i know richie's working really hard on compiling that list and we're going to attempt to bring back carrie from ring of honor the uh, founder of ring of honor to kind of go over that with us as well on that bonus show so it could be a good one it could be a fun one to kind of go back and say this guy was great but he never appeared at the garden so it should be an entertaining show and how do we know they didn't appear at the garden because of the book that is our bible thank you to scott teal and crowbar press for their great book wrestling at the garden that is correct crowbarpress.com wrestling in the garden is available and uh, that is our bible and of course uh, all of the research that richie does i mean it just kind of amazes me that he just kind of gives us these facts these figures these notes and it's fun it's fun to relive it and it's also fun to kind of like get that anger built up again is like that show sucked that you went to 50 years ago, 50 freaking years ago, man. Uh, one last thing before we head out, oh, you know, speaking of Vince, Vince McMahon, obviously we played a little bit of a clip from him from 50 years ago, but uh, he's in a little bit more hot water again. <laughs> 
he uh, a search warrant at his house and a grand jury in- investigation uh, underway about those uh, payoffs the alleged sexual payoffs to the multitude of women he's accused of paying off and using company funds to do that. Uh, So anyway, uh, we'll be following that story. But uh, Vince is like Teflon in a way, too. He just doesn't give a shit and he gets away with anything he does. And we'll see where this one goes. Conveniently, by the way, he had spinal surgery in July as well. So he is out indefinitely. He's still the chairman of the board, but he's out indefinitely. And ironically, when he was indicted by the feds in 1994 and went on trial, that entire trial, he wore a neck brace. So I do remember that. I, I do. Rem- and uh, speaking of trials, being from New York, remember the John Gotti trials, the Teflon Don? Oh, yeah. That, this is like that. This is very similar to that. He's been through this before. He's, he's Teflon. Look at the former president of the United States. I mean, he's kind of like McMahon's best friend and they're all cut from the same freaking cloth. Well, we'll have to stay tuned and see what happens. Anything else, John? No. That's it, man. (laughs) For, For John and Rizzi and Richie Garcia, I'm Tim Poutre. We'll see you next time.